0: Many years ago, one of my best friends um, gave birth to a little boy named Nicholas. And then shortly thereafter, he died. And the parish priest came to console her and her family and did so. But as he parted, one of the things he said to the family and to her was, don't let anybody give you, this is my paraphrase. Don't let anybody give you any crap one-liners to try to make it all okay. It was said, those people, we do it, we hear it. People coming and giving those kind of one-liners sometimes out of love to try to help. But oftentimes, they've not been thought about at all. And that's where we're going over these next number of weeks. We're starting today a five-week sermon series where we're going to look at these Christian cliches, these pithy little phrases that get said along the way, which many of us have heard, perhaps repeated, but have never really focused on and thought through. And that's why we've titled this whole series Unquestioned Answers, because oftentimes we throw these out as answers that we've not really thought very deeply about. And the first one of these that we're going to do today is we're going to start with this phrase that gets said that everything happens for a reason. And when people say that, they're not trying, there's some kind of troubling situation going on and they're saying that and they're not trying to tell you that we live in a cause and effect world, which we do, but what they're really trying to say is that God's got this master plan. He makes everything happen and you don't understand it right now, but someday it's going to make sense and that's what's going on. And we wanna look hard at that. And it gets said in lots of different ways. I remember a number of years ago, there was a a famous international Christian apologist that was in town, a guy named Oz Guinness. And um, he was speaking at a bar. And actually, as he started it, he confessed that what I had suspected that his family was related to the Guinness family. So after I stopped thinking about the beer and tuned into what he was saying, he actually um, started with a story. He was talking about suffering. And he he told this story. He said, I want you to imagine occupied Paris back during World War II. And the underground has made a new convert um, who's gonna help out with these things. And the head of the resistance there, the underground is speaking with him. And he's telling him, we've got all these things we want you to do, but I want you to know that after today, whenever you see me, it, it may be weird. You may see me next time and I'm gonna be in a German uniform. And I may come up and sock you in the face and hit you with the stock of a gun and knock you to the ground. And it's going to seem crazy, but when the war is over, everything will be revealed and it's going to make sense. That's this idea. That's the illustration he's using for this. This idea that you're hitting some horrific tragic event that's taking place and people want to tell you that. God's got this super controlled master plan that's all going to make sense when it's all revealed because he needed that to happen for this, for that, because it's all been planned and micro controlled that way. And it's meant to be something helpful. And it's said in other ways, there are other different kinds of phrases that get said that capture these same kind of things. People will say that was just meant to be, or it must have been their time when somebody dies or it was part of the plan and there are lots of smart people that will go to these places. I'm going to acknowledge that. And I'll say more about it that in a few minutes, but I want to start by just thinking about this and just offering maybe some critiques and some things to really think about with this, right? The first of which is if you go deep in this, if you go full on with this whole notion, you're going to give up any sense of personal responsibility as you lean into, well, everything happens for a reason because God is managing it all to the nth detail. You know, cheat on a spouse, well, it was meant to be. Somebody has a car crash because they're texting on their phone, it was meant to be. Don't worry about legislation or telling people they shouldn't do that because that just was meant to be. And all the horrible things that can happen, just meant to be, why worry about them? Because it's all part, of God's master plan. And along with that, sort of the second thing that goes with that is you very quickly begin to realize and say, look, everything horrible that happens in the world is directly going back to God and attributed to him. So just turn on the news, pick up the newspaper, every bad story you read, just say, okay, well that's part of God's plan. He did that, he made that happen. Coronavirus, of course he did, he made it happen. And then you start thinking about all the worst things that happen in humanity. Go down death row, murders and the rapes and the beatings and the whatever whatever the worst things that happen and say, well, yeah, it's part of God's plan. Really? And then we may think, begin if we go this way long enough, we begin to think about how it affects us and we get into fatalism and we start thinking, we can't change it. Why mess with putting on your seatbelt? If it's your time, it's your time. Why go to the oncologist when you get the bad diagnosis? Because it's whatever God wants. It's his plan. It's whatever's going to happen. And maybe even the oncologist is not God's hands of healing, but maybe he's actually fighting God on what God wants and his plan and how it's all working out. Or we get into these things about the sports. We're going to be at a Super Bowl in what? about a week, I mean, about a month and a half or something, whatever it is. Why practice? God's already figured out and planned who's going to win the Super Bowl and all these different kinds of things that keep going. Is that what we really think? Everything's planned out that way. We get into these really hard concepts today. I've got to apologize a little bit because I'm going to just keep hitting some hard things. But we get into divine providence and we begin to get some profound questions and thoughts and beliefs. That word provide is in the middle of that, the providence that God's going to provide. And to be clear, we as Christians, we do believe that God tends to and oversees the universe, but it's all in the question of how he does it and what does it mean? And you get this huge spectrum that takes place, right? I'm going to talk about both of the endpoints on this spectrum today. And, um, just a, as a quick preview of where we're going with this. On one end of the spectrum, you get this notion that every last detail is planned out by God, organized, and makes it happen. And you go to the other end of the spectrum and you get this whole notion that God has, is the absentee landlord. He's put the tenets on it and walked away and that's it. You're on your own. Those two spectrums and this whole wide range in the middle. And when we take up this topic, um, I'm aware that if you go to the prayer book and you look in the back, you'll get to the articles of religion. You may go to article 17 and see that it's gonna address part of this. And it's super complicated. I think you can interpret it in many different ways. And the truth is, t- today's topic is a topic not often spoken about because it's probably a semester-long topic, and I'm going to do it in a little short sermon. But I'm, so, so give me some grace. I, if, not, if you walk away with nothing else from this sermon, I hope I will discourage you from trying to make a simplistic faith that goes down to one little sentence that you're trying to say this way, that you'll see, if nothing else, the complication in it. But I'm hoping for a little bit more than that. And I'm aware that perfection is the enemy of the good, so we're gonna push on. And when we go back to looking at this spectrum and we go to where ultimately, I think this pithy little saying comes from, it's gonna come from this one end that really has been mostly influenced by Calvin. John Calvin, we know from history, many of you will know his name. He's one of the great reformers, right? Coming from the 16th century. He is a lawyer turned theologian. Nothing wrong with that. And at age uh, about twenty-seven, he wrote this huge book, The Institutes of Religion. It has lots of good things in it, and goes. But one of the things it has in it, in large measure, is his belief that God controls everything to the nth degree. Like every little thing is controlled by God. So he'll go and give quotes in there where he'll talk about how a rage of wind only happens because God has commanded it. And you know the forecast this morning, I think for Dallas were that we were gonna be in the early, I mean the late in the upper thirties. Calvin would have said we were in the upper thirties this morning because it was a specific intentional direction of God to make it in the upper thirties. Meanwhile, that may have been great back in the day, But we live in an age where we have forecasters dealing with models, dealing with the jet stream and the temperatures and all these different things happening to predict sort of well what's going to happen over as far as like 10 days. Do we think that they're predicting what God's going to do or is there something more going on with that? And Calvin, of course, goes much further than that because ultimately he's going to say he didn't he didn't know this, but the little gray cells in our minds are controlled by him. And that what you think, you don't have an original thought. If you had a thought, an original lyric, or whatever it is, it's because God is putting it actively, controlling it, giving it to you. That led him to ultimately come to a place of talking about predestination. That whether you ultimately call out on Jesus and live for him is because God had pre-programmed it with the little thoughts in your mind to go that way. And if you didn't, That was known in advance too. God programmed it. You knew you were going to say no and go this way. And he didn't just know it. He willed it. He acted it. He made it happen that way. So there's no reason to fight all this. Now, Calvin may have done lots of good things and said lots of good things, but not so much on this one. There are many Christians. I'll say the majority of Christians today in the world and through the ages who will say no to that. And it becomes personal when you start to think about your child. It may be okay when you think, oh, I'm part of the elect and the saved. But when you start thinking about, oh, my child's on the outside and you're thinking, is that fair? What is that? How's that working? And all these other things. And it starts to maybe unravel. But Calvin had every thought, every cell, everything he's con- that God was controlling it directly in that way. And I think this is where this saying ultimately has its roots that everything happens for a reason because God is planning it and pulling the strings on everything that goes on. And to be honest, we turn and look at scripture. There are a lot of complicated scriptures. I'm not gonna say there aren't passages that will speak something in that direction or certainly we'll talk about foreknowledge of certain things or whatever. Lots of complicated passages, but there are maybe I'm gonna suggest even more passages that highlight and feature the freedom and the choices that we have and that God has really given you that choice and it's not pretend. And you can see it in lots of places. Start, okay, first chapter of the Bible where God is setting things up and he's made creation and he's created all these things. And eventually he says to the humans he's created, I'm giving you dominion over the fish and all these things. And I'm giving you I like, I'm over everything. I'm sovereign. I'm the ultimate authority but I'm giving you the responsibility for these things. And he gives it. Now you think about, I'm in the place now where in my reading plan, I'm reading all the prophets right now. And you think of how many prophets get up there and say, God is telling you do this, do this, do this, or that's gonna happen. He's emphasizing the choice that the people have. They have a choice. If it's all programmed in advance, why waste the breath of the prophet? But he hammers, make this decision, make a good decision. Don't do this. Don't do this. Or how about our first reading today from Deuteronomy 30? This passage is one where Moses has come up to the promised land. And once again, he's telling the people, this is all going to happen. But look at this law, the commandments. Look at all these things that God has given you to help you flourish, to help you have life. This is the way of life. And you can deny all that and go this way, and this is the way of death. You have a choice, choose life. Why would he say that if you have no choice? You're pre-programmed, God's already designed it, you've got to go this way. I think there are lots of passages like that where again and again we see how valuable the free will is and the ability to choose. That's one end of the spectrum, that's where that saying comes from. But I think the question we begin to ask is then, okay, if if that's not where we are, where is God in our everyday life? How does he interact with us? So before I answer that, let me go to the other end of the spectrum for a minute. You know, our founding fathers of our country, they were all on this other end or not all of them, but most of them were on this other end with what's called deism, which is this absentee landlord. Or sometimes people will want to describe it as the um, the master who's made the clock, wound it up, set it all up and then walks away from it or leaves the tenants again on the, on the property and just walks away. But to go hard there denies so much of scripture, right? You begin to think, well, how, if, if God just wound it up and walked away or is the absentee landlord, how did Moses? and this defining moment for Israel. How did he go and lead the people out of slavery with all of these miracles that took place and with a call that was placed on him where God told him, go do this. Don't worry that you can't speak. I'm gonna spend Aaron with you, all these things. How do you say that if God's absent from this picture? Or how do you think that Jesus came to show us the way, the truth, the life, and to save us? How does that happen if you think he's out of the picture? Or how do you think that the Holy Spirit just comes into us and that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit and how we live out? I think there are lots of problems when you go too far that way. And the majority of Christians live somewhere in the middle in this complicated thing of God is in the middle and we believe that God is active in our lives, but not micro controlling every little thing. And I'll tell you my own view on it for a minute, if I may. I think that God works every single day, speaking to us in our hearts and our minds, if we let him. I start every day by surrendering to God and asking his will would be done through me, not controlling me, but because he's leading me. And I think about all the ways the mission starts then, like to try to hear his voice. And we don't always know for sure when we have it, but the nudges that say, um, you know, I, I was thinking about this this morning, I wrote, this sermon over a week ago, this part of it. And I was thinking about how God sometimes will lead me to pick up the phone and call a friend and a friend will say, you know, I was just praying that I really needed something from God and you called. And I think God's spirit moved me, nudged me that way. But it was funny this morning, I was still in bed and I had my college roommate, who's a missionary, texted me this morning and said, I'm praying, you, praying for you this morning about such and such, which is something I was very focused on and needed prayer about. And it was a reminder to me. And so I wrote him back and told him, i was doing this sermon, wow, that's kind of cool. And he wrote back and said, no, that's actually the truth. I felt God nudging me to reach out to you on this. And I think that's how God works. Oftentimes, if we're open, we become his instruments in the world that he will lead us and guide us, that he will, we have real decisions we get to make, but we can listen to his voice in us, leading us in different directions to lean in to whatever it is, helping someone justice, when it doesn't, when it isn't easy, all these different kinds of things. It reminds me of um, a saying that I saw the other day that um, it was um, a saying that went this way. It said, um, everything happens for a reason, but sometimes it's because you're stupid and make bad decisions. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, the idea that we really do have decisions but God leads us and guides us. He he has given an ordered world with laws and and given us brains. He's given us the Holy Spirit within us to lead us and guide us. He's given us scripture to teach us his wisdom and his ways. He's given us Jesus to change us from the inside, save us and model things for us. And he calls us routinely to be missionaries in the world to be his hands, to be his voice, to do things, to partner with him in the world as he works on this new creation. And the reality of it is in that mix, we are going to at times experience pain, hard things and maybe even horrible things. But the bigger picture, not a little pithy one-liner, but the bigger picture is that God has this big sweep of hope that he gives us that whatever the worst thing is that happens to us in this time is never going to be the last word. Because even death, as shown with Jesus, is not the final word as he's raised from the dead. I want to end today with um, just saying a couple, one more little thought that comes from one of my favorite passages in scripture, Romans 8.28. It's a passage, I think, that goes right to this divide about how people interpret these things. But Paul writing to the Romans in this great chapter in 8, he says, All things work for good with those who love God and are called according to his purposes. All things work for good with those who love God and are called according to his purposes. What he doesn't say is, is, your, is God makes bad things happen to you as part of his master plan, which will someday be revealed and make sense to you or whatever, he doesn't say any of that. What he's saying is that when stuff happens to you, the divorce you didn't expect or want, the death of someone, whatever, if we surrender these things to God and put them in his hands, he will some way redeem them in the sense that he will make good come out of them. Some way out of that hurt and that harm, Others will be blessed. That some kind of good will come out of it. And I certainly know in my own life, I think about the big hurts I've had, the big things I wish I could have taken back at the time, surrendering to God how God's used them to take me to a richer, deeper place with him and in the world and made bless some other, some other people or done something. I see it again and again that way. We're starting this sermon series. There are lots of, complicated pithy little sayings that we're going to go into. Everything happens for a reason. I don't think it's helpful. And if nothing else, I hope today you see that there's some complications with it. And I want to encourage you not to have an over simplistic faith because someday for you or for somebody you love, something really hard is going to happen. And I hope we'll be grounded in a deeper faith than this kind of one little line statement. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us. You call us to walk with you in a relationship of freedom. And we pray, Lord, that as we walk this way, that we would be in tune to your spirit, that we might bless others by the decisions we make and the things we do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.